This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the podcast for what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season on Working, we're talking about animals with jobs. And for the episode you're about to listen to, we talked about a animal job that I've always wondered about. How do service animals, specifically service dogs, work? We sat down with Al Elia, uh, who is blind and who uh, works every day with a 70-pound black lab named Cheech who helps guide him through the world as he moves through it. Um, We talked about everything from Cheech's training uh, to the way that Al communicates with Cheech to the way that Cheech communicates with Al. Then in a Slate Plus Extra, uh, Al, who is himself a Slate Plus member, told us uh, how Cheech got his name and his own approach to the names of the service animals that he has worked with over the years. If you're a member, enjoy that and other great Slate Plus extras. Start your two-week free trial today at slate.com slash working plus. What is your animal's name and what does it do? Um, so this is Cheech and he is a guide dog. He's down here on the the floor. In the He's studio. laying on the floor. He he may be falling asleep. That's what he often does when I'm sitting down and <laughs> and not actively doing something that involves him. So b- before we go any further, um, what is your name and what what is your relationship with with Cheech? Um, uh, my name is Al Elia, mm-hmm. and uh, my relationship with Cheech is I am his handler. Mm-hmm. Um, I am blind, so. Uh, he is a service dog, and specifically, he is a guide dog for the blind. How long has Cheech been been working with you in this capacity as a guide dog? I got Cheech in uh, October of 2014. So, what are we at? About f- almost four years, yeah, three and a half, three years? and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and how did you start working with him in the first place, or how did he start working with you? It's, I guess it's his job. It's your life. Well, so <clears throat> I should say he is my uh, fourth service dog. Okay. Um, so my experience beginning to use Cheech was a little bit different than if he was my first guide dog. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's my fourth dog, the, the process is a little bit shortened. But basically um, there is an application process um, for a guide dog. Um, you apply to a school. There are a bunch of schools. Um, there are the schools that I have used – have exclusively done what they call in-community training. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than go to the school and stay there for you know two or three weeks to learn to use the dog, the in-community training schools send the dog and the trainer to you mm-hmm. and train you sort of on your schedule in your community, mm-hmm. uh, in an environment you're used to, um, which they feel is you know better for the dog, the handler, and just sort of generally all around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you've so, already, yeah, so you've already touched on uh, one of my other questions, which is that you've worked with multiple dogs mm-hmm. over the years. Um, but, uh, you know, what's what's it been like going through different service animals uh, over that time? Um, it's very difficult uh, getting to – well, you get used – it's, it's very difficult moving from your first dog to your second dog. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you learn to use the first dog and – when you're first, when you're learning with the first dog, you're you're both sort of learning what it's like to be 
paired with somebody you're not familiar with, mm-hmm. right? The dog has been training with trainers who the dog has become familiar with. You have never worked with a dog before, so you're learning to be guided around by a dog and trust the dog. So you sort of develop a relationship and it takes about six months to a year mm-hmm. to really develop a good working relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, to sort of be, the way I put it is become a well, well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then you get the second dog. And, of course, you're used to the well-oiled machine and all of a sudden it would be kind of like if you got into a new car and you couldn't find the, the you know, uh, windshield wiper mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. and you're looking all over for it and the rain is pouring down. You're like, where is the – it's like that. Yeah. Uh, only – with more than just looking for one control, it's, uh, right. you know, the way that the dog behaves. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, we'll talk more about what Teach does for you or with you in a minute, but, but I, I would have to imagine that that must be really difficult period of adaptation where, you know, if you've gotten used to being supported in one way by a particular animal, then having to learn all of that again must, must feel pretty rough. As I said, it's the most difficult going from your first dog to your second dog. Yeah. Um, after that, you realize, okay, I've been through this before. I'm going to take a deep breath. You know, this is going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, the process with and, – and, and that is the reason why they have a period of training with a trainer. The trainer is only with you for approximately, you know, two weeks mm-hmm. for subsequent to your first dogs, about three weeks for your first dog, mm-hmm. maybe a month tops depending on how things go. When you are learning to use the dog with the trainer, part of what the trainer is there for is to, you know, make sure that you and the dog are working well as a team, that mm-hmm. the dog isn't stressed out by you know, something you're doing, that your pace is well matched, et cetera, um, that you're, you're not overpowering the dog and the dog is not overpowering mm-hmm. you. Um, and then, you know, as I said, the, it's about another six months, maybe a year hmm. before you really start to you know, become a well-oiled machine. And you, I assume, though, are a well-oiled machine with Sheech now? Yes. Uh, you know, we've been working together now for enough years that, you know, I know the things I need to watch out for with him. Mm-hmm. He knows the things he needs to watch out for with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of the they, – they deliver a dog that is trained to guide – they being the school – delivers mm-hmm. a gu- dog that's trained to guide a generic blind person. Mm-hmm. And then, you know – you and the dog working together sort of figure out like, okay, you know, well, uh, for instance, I walk really fast. Mm-hmm. And if I am guiding, if he's guiding me toward a <clears throat> cross, you know, through a crosswalk and there is a, an up curb or a down curb, you know, where uh, what they commonly call wheelchair ramps, but mm-hmm. we call up curb, down curb, um, then, you know, I don't want him to stop unless there's, you know, unless it's a busy road and we need to stop to mm-hmm. here for traffic. Um, th- when he shows up, when, when he's delivered, they're trained to stop at, you know, at every step, at every curb, you know, at sort of every possible point where you might want to make a choice. So some of it's on training, learning to work together. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, so let's talk about what he does more generally or what, what service animals like him maybe even do more generally. What are they trained to do for a generic blind person, as you put it? So um, they're trained with a set of commands. So he knows his name. Um, then forward, left, right, uh, find, followed by something else. So I can say find left, find right, hmm. find upstairs, find downstairs, hmm. Um Find inside, find outside, um, and oh, and work it out. Okay. <laughs> um, so, for instance, if I'm when I got off the metro today, he's used to taking a different metro exit than the one where you guys are. It's, he's used to going to the L Street exit that's mm. uh, further back on the platform. Mm-hmm. Let's out the other side of L Street. We're all the way at the end of the platform. Exactly. And so when I, I so I knew which exit we needed to take, but you know we come here pretty frequently mm-hmm. um, for an office that I go to, you know, a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And so when I told him to go past the the escalator we normally take, you know, he stopped and he tried to turn me around. <laughs> you know, because it's like you're you're lost, you're confused, yeah. I know where we are. Um, yeah. And I had to, you know, stop, say, no, it's a good boy, <laughs> forward, 
And he would take a couple of steps forward and then he would stop and start to turn around again. Like, no, 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 good boy, forward and move forward. And eventually, when, once he figured out that, no, I really did know where I was going and I really did want him to continue down the platform, then I said, okay, good boy. Now yeah. find upstairs. And yeah. then he saw the escalator at the end of the platform and he started to walk faster. He was like, okay, <laughs> I now know where we're going. Um, does he – maybe I'm getting ahead of myself or getting ahead of our, our questions here. But does he also like have to develop an understanding of things like the particulars of um, metro entrance and exit gates? Uh, <laughs> so I wish – well, so he will um, – he will – and I believe they train them for this. Um, he will try to go to a uh, accessible entrance, you know, the mm -hmm. wide one, mm -hmm. um, which conveniently mostly – I, th I think all of the accessible entrances are two-way, mm -hmm. um, but he is not able to distinguish an in-gate from an out-gate. <laughs> and so, for instance, when I arrived here, I, he took me to the first gate that we came upon and, mm -hmm. you know, I put my card on. It didn't open, so I stepped left, you know, stepped right, tried that one. Nope, stepped right again, and thankfully the third one I tried was the right one. Right, because the trick for our listeners who are not here in Washington, D.C., is that uh, – some of the gates in the the subway and the metro are one way, and and some are are not. And the the sign that tells you which way it is is red or green, basically, which is, I think, probably not even in a dog's exactly. visual wheelhouse yeah. uh, necessarily. So uh, it could be a tricky thing for him. W what else? So it sounds like some of what he does is provide you with directional instruction. What are the other elements of his job? Well, so it's my job to know where I want to go, mm -hmm. and it's my job to know generally how to get there. And it's his job to take direction from me and sort of figure out the niggling little details to make sure that, you know, I don't run into things, mm -hmm. um, that I don't run into people. Mm -hmm. um, um, and and if I tell him to do something that will get us killed, to not do it and, in mm -hmm. fact, stop me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, for example, um, it's my job to – when we're standing at a at a – corner ready to cross the street. It's my job to listen for when I think it is safe for us to cross by mm -hmm. listening for the, you know, near side parallel traffic. And when near side parallel traffic is going, then, you know, I tell you, okay, forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if he doesn't, you know, if, if he sees an electric car coming at a high speed chase, you know, down the street that we're about to cross, that's going to hit us, then it's mm -hmm. his job to sort of shoulder check me in the need to be like, uh, no, bad idea. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, you're, you're touching on something that I also wondered about, which is how does he communicate with you typically? Uh, is it mostly physical? Um, it's entirely physical. Mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to think whether any of my – I mean, so I will say one thing about Cheech. Uh, Cheech is a black lab. Mm -hmm. uh, he's about 75 pounds. Um, he is extremely quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, he will basically – vocalize if we're playing tug of war mm -hmm. and if you get him really excited about a toy mm -hmm. and that's about it. Mm -hmm. My previous dogs were German shepherds mm -hmm. and they would bark at the drop of a hat. <clears throat> now, Cheech, I don't – I was just thinking, I don't think even the German shepherds would communicate sort of verbally um, in when they were working, you know, when they were guiding. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost entirely physical. It is a the dog will stop, the dog will back up. Or in extremely dangerous situations, the dog will sort of shoulder check you in the knee and mm. move across you. Mm. So, so I should say Cheech is always um, on my left. So I'm mm. always holding his harness with my left hand. Um, and so he would, you know, if I'm standing at a corner and I tell him to go and let's say I took a step forward and he saw something very dangerous like mm. an open manhole cover right in front of me, say, mm. he would leap across me you know, from my left to my right and sort of turn me and move me away from whatever the danger was. Hmm. I'm thinking here of uh, the way my mother, uh, well past the point where she needed to do this when we were driving, if she had to stop suddenly, would always put her arm out in front of me. It yes, seems exactly. A little, a little like that. Uh, yeah. In, you know, that merest sight of danger. Uh, I mean, how does he hmm. learn to recognize what does and doesn't count as potentially dangerous though? Well, I mean, that's part of his training before I get him. Mm -hmm. um, now, I am introduced to that training because they will – among the things that they will do is – especially for your first dog, but to some extent with subsequent dogs. And, and when you try a new school, they will of often um, 
present you with a potentially dangerous situation. For example, um, go up to the cor- go up to the edge of the subway platform when there is not a train coming, mm-hmm. and pick up the harness and tell the dog forward when you're standing on the edge of the platform, mm-hmm. and the dog will you know back up, pull you back, jump across you if necessary, you know do all the things that say no, this is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the dog's training. Yeah, you know. Similarly, if the dog sees a giant hole in the ground that you're stepping toward, the dog knows holes in the ground are bad. <laughs> so, is he mostly trained for and and accustomed to thinking about working in urban environments? What happens when you find yourself in a different setting with him? He is he has a preference for urban environments, and and I say that because one of the things that the guide schools, at least the community in community training schools that I have used, do when you are applying for a dog is they ask you what environment you live in and mm-hmm. you go to frequently. Um, they then, when they're training the dogs, they train them in a bunch of different environments: in urban environments, rural environments, suburban environments, etc. And um, the trainers can tell which dogs prefer which environments, hmm. just like they can tell you know which dogs are naturally more fast paced uh, or slower hmm. um, you know more physical less physical you know i i'm uh you know about two hundred pounds, so you know and a pretty strong guy, hmm. so they typically give me you know a fairly strong large male dog who hmm. is fast paced hmm. um, if I were you know, a smaller, more frail person who nevertheless needed a service dog, they would pair me with a different dog who mm-hmm. did not have those traits. Yeah. And similarly, if I if I lived in the country, they would give me a dog who enjoyed walking country, what they call country walk, which is where you're basically walking along the side of the street where there's no sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Cheech hates that. <laughs> <laughs> Can he do it though? Uh he will do it if required, but he moves really fast and you can tell that he's stressed out and he wants this to be over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any moments, like specific stories, um, about times when he has actually stopped you from a dangerous situation, something like this? A dangerous situation? No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really, if he, if he needs to get us out of a dangerous situation like that, Mm-hmm. It's because I haven't done my job. Mm-hmm. It's because I wasn't paying enough attention, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and and you know, obviously, I don't want us to get into a dangerous situation. So, um, I I do my job, right? <laughs> in terms yeah. of not putting us in a situation where he needs to get freaked out and stressed, and you know, and and that's you know, having to deal with the stressful situation with the dangerous situation while he is trained to do that, mm-hmm. it is stressful. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, you know, I can tell you a story about it. my first guide dog um, where I was in Italy and I decided to go for a walk along a mountain and uh, my dog did not want to guide me. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had enough vision that I thought I would be okay and I mm-hmm. slipped off the mountain and mm-hmm. only f- avoided falling to my death by holding onto the leash. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, he said – at the point when I pulled myself back up, he was extremely stressed out mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know – I promptly let him guide me back off of the mountain to a different path. So some of your work with the dogs is about managing their moods as well, making sure that they're comfortable. I mean, that you're safe, that, they, that they're not freaked out. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. Yeah. So what's a day in the life for him? Is it really just map onto your own schedule, your own time? Pretty much. Um, so, um, you know, I, I work from... Um, I work from home more than I work from an office uh, now. You're was, a lawyer. I'm yes. an attorney. Attorney. Um, and I uh, recently completed a fellowship where I was working for a firm in Baltimore. So mm-hmm. I was having to commute out to Baltimore uh, from D.C., you mm-hmm. know, back and forth most days. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you about a day like that because it's a little more interesting. Sure. Um, I would get up in the morning. You know, I, I'd feed him. Mm-hmm. He eats once a day in the morning. What, uh, what does he eat? What, what's his uh – he eats two cups of a food called Bench and Field that I get from Trader Joe's. Okay. And he eats that food because uh, for the first couple of years I had him, he was developing ear infections. Mm-hmm. And so we figured out that that was the food that didn't give him ear infections. Oh, so Good to know. Yeah. So, so Bench know, and Field. Bench and Field. In the morning. In the morning. 
Um, you know, we leave the apartment. Um, we go to the metro. He will w- – once we get out of the building, I will pick up the harness and I'll say, okay, you know, Cheech, work it out. And at that point, because we do this every day, it's really autopilot from the door to my building to the metro entrance. Hmm. In fact, all the way through to the you know, turnstile, I, we have to stop there because I have to pull out my card. But mm-hmm. at this point, Cheech is autopiloting. He says, I know where we're going. Mm-hmm. We're going to the metro. We go up the escalator to the metro and he will you know, turn to the left to go to the red line platform that will take us to Union Station. And we'll get on, you know, he will then sit and we'll wait. When the metro pulls up, he will stand up. I'll pick up the harness and he will walk over to the door and stare at the door waiting for it to open. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, because of the way that the Washington metro often sort of discharges people, I'll sort of step to the side so mm-hmm. I'm not standing. If, if he had his way, we would simply step onto the train as soon as the door opened. <laughs> um, so I'll sort of get us out of the way and then you know, as soon as it's – as I can sort of stop hearing people walk out of the train, uh-huh. I'll pick up the harness and he'll guide me onto the train. Um, and he will go, he will look for a seat. Mm-hmm. So if there are people in this, if there are people in all of the seats, he will occasionally go up and sort of, you know, sit and stare at a person in <laughs> one of the seats near the door as if to say, um, you're sitting in the seat that's supposed to be reserved for my person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he recognizes where you're supposed to be in the train. Um, yes, although again, it's it's habit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he knows that we usually sit in one of the seats that's right by the door, and so by habit, he will look to see if there mm-hmm. is a seat, and if there isn't, he'll pick some mm-hmm. unsuspecting soul to stare at, pleadingly to move. Do they usually move? Uh, no, not usually. Usually, I end up having to sort of check all four seats and finally when I get to the fourth seat enough people will be clamoring for the person to move mm-hmm. you know and and sometimes I'll just stand because you know yeah. it's not like I need a seat um right. it's it's convenient for me to have a seat because I can get him out of the way interesting right yeah um you know it's a similar situation when I'm when I'm boarding a plane mm-hmm. right if I'm boarding a plane it's not that I need to get on the plane earlier. It's that I need to get a dog settled. And it's a lot easier for me to get the dog settled if there aren't a bunch of people all staring at him. Mm-hmm. You know, where when they when people stare at him, he sort of stares back and wonders, why are they staring at me? Right. Is there something I need to know about this person? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should go say hi and see what's up. Yeah. Anyway, so we're on the subway. And we take the subway to Union Station. Um, I'm still not certain whether he determines – whether he's able to determine that this is Union Station where we get off. Mm-hmm. I've had dogs that knew when, where our stop was. And because Union Station is the first stop that you go from sort of above ground to underground mm-hmm. um, from where we live, he could he, he could know that that's the station. But mm-hmm. usually because I'm getting up, it, you know, you never know whether he's picking up on the fact that I am sort of, you know, picking up my bag and making like I'm ready to get off the train or mm-hmm. if he's actually recognizing that we need to get off the train. Mm-hmm. Um, we get off the train. Um, you know, I pick up the harness again and I say, okay, you know, find the way or work it out mm-hmm. uh, or find upstairs. Um, again, because we go to Union Station a lot, he will go to, to the – the particular escalators that lead up to near where the platforms are that have the trains that go to Baltimore, the mm-hmm. Mark train platforms. Um, he will go, you know, he'll guide me up the escalator to the accessible turnstile, you know, around to the other escalator up and then through to the um, train waiting area. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, he'll stop and, you know, because at that point he knows that I ask the person behind the desk, you know, where's the next train to Camden Station? Yeah. I find out um, because I am – I've been going there enough. I – you know, when when we need to go to a platform, he 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 doesn't know where the platform is. Sure. Right? So I can't say find platform seven. That would be great. But um, – so if they say platform seven, it's my job to know where it is. Mm-hmm. Tell him to go. If he starts to turn too much, I'll notice, for example – that there's a up ramp leading to 
you know, the platform. And I know the platform seven is one of the low platforms. So I know we've turned too early. I was like, good boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you never want to sort of correct him without praising for something that he's done mm-hmm. that could be correct, but in this case isn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, find find the way. Okay, this is a way, not the right way. Good boy. <laughs> Try again. Um, similar thing when I was trying to get into the building here. I, I didn't know exactly where 1707 was. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the sandwich shop and then I went into the smoothie shop and then I went in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time it's like, good boy. Okay. All right. Left. Now find inside. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so we get on the train. He'll, he will go up the steps to the second level and sit and stare at the person if there's a person sitting in that first seat because that's where we always sit. Um, and then we'll go to sleep uh, mm-hmm. while we take a train for an hour to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, Does he sleep on the floor? Yeah. 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 He lays on the floor. And, I mean, you know, as I said, most of the time if he's not if – the, if the harness isn't in my hand and he's not – you know, playing with something, he's asleep. As he's presumably doing right now. I can't quite see him. He's probably asleep. He almost certainly, you know, we're in a room, we're two guys talking, you know, there's nothing interesting for him. So, you know. So, I I mean, that that is interesting though in in terms of thinking about him as an animal with a job, which is that he also does have downtime of a sort. He knows when he's not on the clock Mm -hmm. uh, and knows what to do, which is do what a dog does, which is sleep, I guess. So in my old office in Baltimore, I had a bed and an office, mm-hmm. you know, my own office. And we go and when I got there in the morning, he would go and I'd take his harness off and he would go curl up on his bed and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Now, if I left if I left my individual office to go say, you know, talk to a coworker, um because it's an office that I, you know, worked in every day, I didn't need to Reharness him and have him guide me around the office. I would just mm-hmm. walk around the office and you know move move slowly so I didn't bump into people. Yeah. Um, if I didn't close the door, he would he would come try to find me after about two minutes. Huh. So if I'm not around him for about two minutes and the door isn't shut, indicating that I really mean it, I want him to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, then he figures he should go. He should come find me. He's very focused on checking in on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are a handful of people who he sort of is focused on where they are. Me, you know, my wife, uh, occasionally he'll sort of, you know, uh, bond with someone else in the office. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of those things you try to avoid because you don't want him bonding with multiple people because if I'm walking down the street, on the one hand, I might want him to say hello to a person that I know. Mm -hmm. On the other, you know, uh, I might want him to just continue walking and ignore the other people. In Mm -hmm. fact, that's mostly what I want him to do. Yeah. So – that's um, so. Uh, I want to talk more about that as well uh, in in a minute, hopefully. But um, are there any points in a typical day, like the one that you describe, where his schedule does diverge from your own? Is it just those moments when the door is closed, when you're off doing something in an environment you're comfortable in, that he's on his own? No, about the only time that his schedule sort of where his schedule dictates is. Mm-hmm. He he's fed in the morning before we leave. Um, on the uh, there have been a couple of occasions where I've been in a hurry, and you know I I start putting on my coat and I go to harness him and I haven't fed him yet and he will go over and paw at his he's got a big food bin with the dishes on top he'll <laughs> paw at it like you forgot something <laughs> he knows how to look after you know, himself yeah um um. He he, and then and then sort of he's on a relief. He's on a twice, occasionally three, usually twice a day, relief schedule. Uh-huh. So usually, when, when you say relief schedule, you mean pooping and such? pooping and peeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they call it relief schedule. That's a, it's a, it's a good euphemism. <laughs> so he he eats and then he goes out. Now if we're if I'm working from home, it's he eats and then I take him out and I, you know. Uh, walk him to a relief area that's you know near my building, um, and and then go back in. But on a day where we're going to the office, say it would be I'd feed him. Um, we as we're walking to the train, if he really needs to go, then he'll take me to a relief area. But one of the things um, that and this is sort of a one of those unique things about different dogs. I, I have some friends who have service dogs where you take them to a relief area and and the command is get busy, mm. and you tell them to get busy, and they instantly just like turn around one turn and they go and they're done. 
Uh, Cheech has been known to take 10 minutes. Oh, boy. Yeah. So if I have a train to catch, you know, that doesn't work. So mm-hmm. um, on the days where I would go to Baltimore, I would we would go to Baltimore and then he would, you know, there were a couple of relief areas on the way. It's about a, uh, you know, kilometer and a half from the train station to my office and we would just, you know, walk and he would use one of the relief areas along the way. But I mean, imagine that this is something that has to be very specific in the training of, of service animals, uh, which is that presumably they have to, you know, if you're going to, I would guess, be picking up his leavings, then uh, he needs to do it in a way that where that's feasible for you. Is that Well, correct? it depends. So um, some people have dogs where if you, if they're in the middle of pooping, you can put your hand on their back and follow their back down to, you know, the ground mm-hmm. and therefore figure out where the poop is to find it. Um, Cheech, because he takes so long to go, <laughs> and if I then try to touch him, he will stop going and look for a different spot. Uh-huh. Um, it is, it is what, I tr- what I instead do is take him to areas where um, the foot traffic should be as close to zero as possible. All right. So behind a fence – yeah. You know, um, sometimes in like a planter where there's like a fence around the planter, you know, uh-huh. a place where I am not expecting a person, especially like a kid to be playing um, an Stepping island in the middle freely. of the street. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, um, so it sort of depends on the dog. Um, I've had, you know, sort of one dog that I was able to pick up after who didn't sort of freak out when you touch them when they were going. Mm. Um so, you know, it, it, like I said, it depends on the dog. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, we've already talked a little bit about other elements of his training, but does he ever have to learn new skills or, or re-up the ones that he already had? Or is that just a, an ongoing process of your relationship? So because I use him every day – so some people – I know some people who have service dogs who um, sort of interchange using a uh, – a guide dog and a white cane. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a white cane very infrequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I take him pretty much everywhere. I take him to the grocery store. You know, he guides me. We went to the, we went to Broadway. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there wasn't a whole lot of room, but he crawled under the seat in a cramped little theater and went to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less of an issue for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. In the event that he seemed to be slipping on a particular skill, then I would uh, – they, they, there are obedience drills that mm-hmm. you can do with the dog mm-hmm. um, that, frankly, the German Shepherds like doing them a lot more than the labs do. <laughs> the German Shepherds love doing obedience drills. It's like the greatest thing. Uh, <laughs> Cheech, not so much. She's like, why are we doing this? Like, yeah. We're just sitting here. Are you sure you don't want to play tug of war? <laughs> tug of war would be much more fun. Because you're not, clearly not actually going anywhere. I'm not actually working now. Um, he's a very fun-loving dog. Yeah, sounds like. Uh, how much of his time on a typical day does get to uh, be committed to that kind of fun play enjoyment of just being a goofy dog? Um, I mean, f- frankly, most of his day, right? Okay. Because I mean, I, I'm you know I have a desk job. Yeah. So his, you know he's working when he's guiding me to and from work mm-hmm. or, you know, to and from someplace from my house or the office. Uh, so, for example, if I go to the grocery store, right, he's got to guide me onto the metro, from the metro to the grocery store and then, um, you know, to some extent around the grocery store. Um, but, you know, most of the time, you know, if you th- sort of think about all the time when you're not moving around in a place that you're not familiar with, that's where he's got to work. And the rest of the time, he's down. Now, that's different from sort of playtime, mm-hmm. you know, his playtime, I would say um, probably more like a half an hour a day where, mm-hmm. you know, we'll actually, I'll play tug of war with him usually after dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, I finish up dinner, he will go and bring me a toy. Yeah, like, just after okay. your dinner since he only eats in the morning. Exactly. Right? After my dinner, yeah. he'll say, you know, okay, you know, he, he, he can tell sort of I'll, I'll sit back at the table and all of a sudden it's like I will feel, you know, a chin on my on my leg and I'm like, you know, like, yes, hello. And then he'll run over and go get a toy. Like, okay, you noticed me. Uh-huh. Now come, you know, play tug of war or fetch or what have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, probably a 
particularly um, for him, for his purposes, uh, a great uh, side effect of the kind of communication he has with you. Is oh, yeah. He, he knows how to get your attention. And, and I mean, I mentioned that sometimes, you know, sometimes he needs to go out three times a day. Like, uh-huh. You know, if we had a really long walk, if he drank a lot of water, whatever, yeah. for whatever reason. Um, if he needs to go out, he will go over to I, – I keep his leash and harness mm-hmm. sort of hanging on a sort of coat and hat rack by the door and he will just go over and bat them. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if I have headphones on because I'm working, you know, he'll bat them louder. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, come over to me, knows me, and then go over and bat them again. Huh. Um, so he's pretty persistent when he needs to be. Yeah, his uh, his harness is also quite stylish, by the way. Oh. It's like a nice uh, uh, leather based handle, it looks like, or mm-hmm. leather wrapped handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he? So he he doesn't wear that all like at home, but no. but but uh, when he's out and about. So. So the harness is um, the harness is leather, and, and it's sort of a leather harness that goes um, over his shoulders, around under his chest, um, and and sort of has a cross a crossbar of leather that goes in front of his chest. So mm-hmm. it's sort of you know around his legs, um, and then there is a U shaped handle mm-hmm. that is made of leather-covered metal, so it is a stiff handle mm-hmm. um, with some padding in the, you know, in the um, base of the U mm-hmm. um, that, that is where I hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, because it's rigid, the handle is rigid, if he turns one way or the other, I can feel the motion in my hand. Or even if he is taking a step up or down, I can feel the handle twist in my hand so I know okay, we've come up on a step, you know, et cetera. Yeah. When, we're, when we are at home or when we are in a place where I am going to be for, you know, hours, office, et cetera, um, then I'll take the harness off. Mm-hmm. Um, hotel room, for example, take the harness mm-hmm. off. But, you know, here, even though, you know, I was going to be here for, you know, half hour to an hour, um, he's comfortable just laying down and going to sleep in the harness. We talked a lot about, you know, a kind of routine day that he is familiar with where the two of you are going through a series of motions that you go through every day, getting to the metro, getting to Baltimore, getting to your office, um, and then everything that comes after. But what about days when things are less routine, where you're traveling somewhere else or something like this? Do you have to communicate with him differently so that he'll figure out what he has to do for you, how he has to help you out, how he has to do his job? So – the answer to that is that that's part of the – it takes six months to a year mm. because at this point, he is comfortable that I know what I'm doing and I and he can trust me in an environment that he's not familiar with to tell him where to go and that we'll be OK. Mm-hmm. And the flip side of that is that if we're in an environment that he knows really well – and I make a mistake, then you know he'll let me know. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned with the, you know, the metro entrance here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a new environment where you know he's never been there before, um, now that we are, you know, a well-oiled machine, he's like, okay, this is a new airport. All right, where are we going, boss? <laughs> uh, and you know, I, it's my job to figure that out. Now, when we get off the plane. Uh, in an unfamiliar airport, I don't know where we're going either. Uh-huh. Um, so I will have to, you know, ask someone, excuse me, which way is baggage claim? But, you know, once I get pointed in the right direction, I say, okay, good boy, find right. And, you know, he'll start going right. And generally, they're also, the, the dogs are also smart in in that they can tell that they're sort of moving along with the flow of traffic. Mm-hmm. So everyone from the plane is going toward baggage claim. So mm-hmm. we can probably follow along with everybody and that'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally that gets messed up because there's like a turn and there's enough of a flow of traffic that mm-hmm. he'll miss the turn if I don't tell him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I have to sort of check in with people around me. It's like, you know, am I still heading toward baggage claim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an escalator coming up. Okay, good boy. Cheech, find downstairs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he'll find the escalator. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this also, this question of how you guys move through crowds together um, gets at a question I have, which is as he's doing his job, what – sort of interactions does he have with other humans? I mean, you said that sometimes he'll he'll look at people who are looking at him. 
try to figure out what they want or whether he needs to interact with them. But uh, I mean, most of us have been, I think, taught not to interact with other people's service animals, which uh, is probably most pretty, people. Most people, but but I mean, uh, probably not everyone follows those rules. Like, That's wh- true. What what? How does he behave when someone interrupts the job that he's doing for and with you? Um, if a person if a person ignores the rule mm-hmm. and you know seeks to say hi to him, he will say hi back. He okay. is a very very friendly dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's part of just the lab. Yeah. Um, German shepherds, not so much. German shepherds, if a, if a stranger came up and wanted to say hi to the dog, um, you know, my my two German shepherds would both sort of sit and lean against me and sort of look up like, who is this person and why are the dog enjoy? Mm-hmm. Cheech will, you know, wag his tail and go over and say hi if somebody calls him over. Um, now, he will not do that as – he is less likely to do that if he is actively guiding. Mm-hmm. Um Fortunately, it is unusual for somebody to try to distract him when I am – when he's actually guiding me, like walking down the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it happens on like a subway platform or in a subway car mm-hmm. where, you know, he's – the harness isn't in my hand. So he's kind of on deck, sort of in his head. He's on deck. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he'll say hi. Yeah. And I will have to ask the person, please don't talk to him. <laughs> um, that must be not the best part of your day. Uh, yeah, not so much. Yeah. What about uh, other dogs or or animals? Is he does he interact with other creatures? Um, it's a similar sort of situation with other dogs. Mm-hmm. He is more likely to go over to say hi to another dog, uh-huh. but again, it depends whether the other dog is ignoring him. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, you know, every every summer I go to a uh, the National Convention of the National Federation of the Blind. Mm-hmm. It's like 3,000 blind people. Mm-hmm. A lot, and a lot, a lot of, dogs of dogs there. A lot of dogs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes he's fine because the other dogs are ignoring him mm-hmm. and so he ignores them. Mm-hmm. But if the other dog sort of looks over and wags its tail, then he's like, hey, you're wagging your tail. We should <laughs> say hi. <laughs> you have a job too? Cool. We have the same job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... This may be a difficult question to answer, but do you get the sense that Teach enjoys his job? Is this? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> In fact, um, so Cheech, you know, you you haven't seen sort of Cheech very excited. He's been pretty chill since he got yeah. to the office here. Um, he he is an extremely waggy tail dog. Yeah. I mean, he wags his tail a lot, and so one of the ways I know he enjoys his job is because, for example, you know, we're going to work in the morning. Uh, you know, we get into the metro and we get on the escalator and his tail is just going a mile a minute. And I'll say, good boy. And his tail will go even faster. And like his tail is smacking me on the leg. He's so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when he figures something out. So for an example, when we were coming up here at the metro, um, when initially he was, you know, not sure that I knew what I knew where we were because I did not go to the elevator, the escalator that we typically go to. You know, he was understandably cautious. But then mm-hmm. once he figured out that, no, I knew where we were going and he started to go toward the correct escalator, I told him, good boy, tail's going a mile a minute. Mm. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm off. <laughs> I am finding the way. And once we get on the escalator, I said, like, good boy. Yeah. Who's a good boy? And, you know, he's just like, I am. Mm. I'm awesome. So, yeah, he loves his job. Yeah. OK. So here's the question I've been dreading asking. Um You've had three previous mm-hmm. service dogs. Um, I guess they do have to retire mm-hmm. at some point. Um, what What is the point at which you have to part ways with an animal that, that you have this intimate relationship with? Well, <clears throat> so there's uh, – it's a complicated answer. You need to retire the dog before it figures out that it's not doing as good a job as it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because it will stress the dog out to know mm-hmm. that it is putting its – human in danger. Now, that said, my experience with this was entirely with German Shepherds. And the German Shepherds have a very different sort of work ethic (laughs) than than, certainly than Cheech. And my understanding (laughs) from talking to other other service dog handlers is that, you know, um, 
it's a it's a it's a breed difference. I anticipate that you know Cheech will be happy to guide so long as I'm continuing to praise him, even if he is you know not doing as as you know bang up a job as he used to. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he is at the age of you know five five and a half, still acting mostly like a puppy mm-hmm. when he's you know off leash. Yeah. Um, so I am anticipating a long and fruitful relationship. But but realistically, working life of a service dog is approximately um, nine years at the outside, maybe ten if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So you know um, you retire them so that they don't stress out over yeah. the f- fact that they're not doing a good job. Are there retirement communities for service dogs, or where do they? What happens? To them? There there are. Um, you know most. You as the handler always have the option mm-hmm. of keeping the dog as a pet. Mm-hmm. Um, if that is not an option because of you know your housing situation, um, because you know once a once a once a service dog retires, it's not a service dog anymore; it's mm-hmm. a pet. And so, if you live someplace where you can't have a pet, um, you can have a service dog because of the law, but not a pet. Right. Then um, you know there are people who will adopt retired service dogs because basically they, you know, they get a dog for a couple of years who is going to be an extremely well-behaved, loving and well-trained dog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, um, my first dog, I, I kept until about a month before he passed away. Um, uh, mm-hmm. That last month, he could not he could no longer walk up and down the stairs mm-hmm. in the building I lived in. Mm-hmm. So he moved out to, as you say, sort of a retirement home for dogs. There was a vet living in Western Mass who, um, you know, adopted older animals that were having difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he went out there and I got a phone call saying, you know, his name was Levi. I got a call. Levi fell. He hurt his back. Um, you know, he's not in any pain. But, you know, we're going to have to, you know, put him to sleep sometime in the next, you know, day or two. Can you get out here? And I was yeah. like, yep. So I yeah. went out there um, and was with him. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, it's always awful to say goodbye to a pet, of course. But I imagine it must be even more acutely so when you have this kind of intimately professional relationship with an animal. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's really hard. Um, in fact, um, I think I don't remember if you mentioned in the in the podcast with Magic the, the, the miniature horse, horse yeah. um, that some people use the horses as guide horses, mm-hmm. um, and there are a lot of reasons why that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the horse needs lots of land. The horse, you know, needs to either wear shoes or get used to walking on terrain that is not sort of typical terrain that horses would be on. Um, but some people choose to do it because the horses live for thirty years, mm-hmm. and so you, um, you know, we're talking about probably needing one or at most two in the typical lifetime of a, you know, person using service animals. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know, with a dog, it's about every you need a new dog about every seven to ten years mm-hmm. so that's yeah well uh, maybe this is a question that's related to that but what's it like you, you know we can talk a little we, we have talked a little about Cheech's relationship to, to his job but what's like for you having this animal in your life from moment to moment with whom you have this really specific bond. Uh, how does that feel? Um, it's like having – so you get to a point where um, especially when, when, you, when you really – when you get to that well-oiled machine state, mm-hmm. you get to a point where um, you feel like the dog is an extension of your left arm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's – you get to a point where – the dog feels almost like a part of you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because, you know, I, I tell people it's one of the fringe benefits of being a blind person is mm-hmm. I get to take a dog everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now, <laughs> you 
if you're not a dog person, this may not be the best thing in the world. If you are a dog person like me, this is like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, and from his perspective, right, this is the greatest thing. In the world. He gets to be with his human all the time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he gets to go to the office. He gets to go to restaurants. He gets to go to, on planes. He gets to go to other countries, you know, to hotels, on hikes. You name it, he gets to go. And from his perspective, it's a it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know that means that when you have to retire them, it's it's hard on both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my when I retired my first dog, I, I basically went to the, the company I was working with. I was uh, doing software programming at the time, and I said to them, I said, I need a bigger office. And they said, Why do you need a bigger office? I said, Because I got to bring two dogs to work now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was fortunate to be in a position where. You know, I was important enough to the company that they were like, well, okay, I guess we can give you a bigger office and you can continue to bring your retired dog and your your new guy dog <laughs> to work every day. Um, but, you know, I, I couldn't see myself leaving him home all day, yeah. you know, when that wasn't an option. Now, my second dog, I retired and I sent him to live with my parents because my dad also worked from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was great because my dad's dog had recently passed away. Mm-hmm. So it sort of worked out, right? Yeah. My dad had a dog um, and I knew that he was going to be with somebody. I know. You're bored. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is he stirring over there? Yeah. yeah. He's he's heard us talk. You know, when, when he hears his name and me issuing commands, he's yeah. sort of like, oh, interesting. you're not holding the harness. Yeah. And you're just talking to Jacob. <laughs> but you're saying my name and commands. Do I need to be paying attention? <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much for joining us to, to talk about Cheech today. This was so delightful. I my pleasure. So it's great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. This week, we want to recommend that you check out the Double X Gabfest. The Double X Gabfest is a biweekly podcast about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, Beyonce, and other issues of interest to women and their friends. It's hosted by Invisibilia co-host Hannah Rosen, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and managing producer of Slate Podcasts, June Thomas, who is literally one of my favorite people in the whole world. Every other Thursday, get a heaping handful of feminist discourse about news and culture in your podcast feed in the Double X Gap Fest. Uh, here at Working, we always also love to get emails from you to hear from you. Uh, uh, you can email us at working at slate.com. Uh, this episode happened because uh, Al Elia emailed us at that address, said, hey, I am a working listener uh, and I work with this great animal that has a job uh, and you might want to talk about him. Um, we did, and we're so grateful to Al for emailing us. Um, if you have suggestions for us, hit us up. Um, we're happy to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by the great Benjamin Frisch. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.